You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The beer is cracked. Nice hiss. And uh, let's play the fight song. Welcome, everybody, to the 3DM's podcast. This is episode 35, and we are going to talk about... We're going to do the show that I've been wanting to do for a year, which, by the way, tomorrow is our birthday. We have officially been a podcast for a year tomorrow, which means I'm going to go buy me a nice whiskey, and I'm going to drink a lot of it. Uh, I'm Jake, joined by Paul. We can't find a th- third person to sit in the chair currently, and it's really annoying. We're trying our best, guys. But we don't want to change the name either. We've grown attached. We're going to get a third person eventually. One of these days. Um, So today we're going to be talking about how to effectively use horror in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Um, I dramatically lowered my seat too much, but I'm just going to go with it. Also say role playing games in general, given that we're going to talk briefly about the Call of Cthulhu 7th edition quick start rules. Yeah. Um, So before we launch into that, though, news. Um, Wizards of the Coast is hiring another game designer. That's the first I've heard of this. Yeah. Um, It's been all over the Twitter. If you follow uh, Mike Merles and Chris Perkins and um, all those guys, uh, they are looking to add one more developer to their core. Um, Frankly, I don't have the education or the brains to do it. I'm just an idea guy who's good with words. And uh, Paul should go for it. I believe. I don't think I have enough under my belt really to do that, but. I believe in you, Paul. You should try for it. I'll give it a shot. All right. Couldn't hurt. Yeah. Put in that application. I mean, you're currently fun employed anyways. What is, what's it going to hurt? Yeah, it's true. All right. So with that out of the way, let's get right into it. Um, how to do the spooky in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. It is the most wonderful time of the year if you're a person like me who likes creepy stuff and horror movies and all that stuff because it's 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 like the one month of the year where it's everyone's just super into it. So, um yeah, there's pumpkins everywhere. Pumpkins everywhere. Some of them have scary faces carved into them. And some of them are just spicing cappuccinos, but it is the time of the year where everybody loves a good spookening. And I mean, let's just launch into it uh, as a medium for doing horror um, while role playing games are not the best. Yeah. That. Role playing games are great at a lot of other things, but it's difficult. To, I should to note pull off. Go ahead. that Dungeons and Dragons in particular is not very good at horror because you tend to be playing a badass adventurer who has kicked the shit out of like 50 skeletons by the time you're in the horror segment. Yeah. Any more on that? Well, 
I would recommend games that are perhaps slightly lower power than Dungeons and Dragons because by the time your spellcasters can get off some higher level spells, not much is really going to be very scary to you so much as retreat and try a different angle of attack. Yes. So let's launch into really quick before we do how this works in 5e um, games that are way better at horror. Uh a lot of the powered by the apocalypse systems because they're it's usually very narrative uh, focused and uh, there's not so much of a power scaling thing. Yeah, um, I recommend Lovecraft esque. Yeah. Um, also, Call of Cthulhu. It's literally built around trying to be creepy and you know investigation and all that stuff and going into you know the horror of you know the elder gods. Yeah, if you're um. <coughs> Looking for something a bit less set in the 1910s, uh, Delta Green is also quite good. It's about a special forces team assigned to deal with supernatural threats. And uh, Dark Heresy um, has yep. its moments when you're running a uh, in- well, Inquisitor who's after Damon. Yeah, so. you do tend to um, fail comedically <laughs> but, uh, um, a bit in that game. But – it's all there. Yes. And you're very weak and things are scary. So it can be much easier to scare things than in, say, Dungeons and Dragons. But let's talk about what we're all here for. Dungeons and Dragons. So as we've already stated, starting off, um, the easiest way to get your players uh, to be afraid, let's uh, – we got a couple of definitions, Paul, if you could pull those up. Uh, we're going to do a small English lesson. Um, but when it comes to – Creating fear. fear and an atmosphere. Um, on you know, an atmosphere, as, if you will. <laughs> I oh. made a pun. I didn't mean to. Um, when it comes to making an atmosphere, though, that is going to be conducive to this, it's very difficult to do. Uh, things you're already going to need, uh, like from the get, you're going to need players who are into the idea of being scared. There are some people who either a don't like being scared or b are going to no sell being scared and are kind of going to be a jerk about it um we have a, a a fun little tale about that and why a certain word is banned at my table um and the other uh and the other problems that are inherent with this medium is again um whereas with a movie or uh an audiobook or things like that uh, where you're able to just kind of slip into the immersion and usually like you're alone or you're with very limited people at D and D night. It's, you know, for got most at least people, three people, you know, there's three or four people. You're all in a room. You feel very safe. You know, these people are usually your friends. Um, if they're not, why are you playing D and D with them? Um, well, you know, so that's how some groups are though. Um, you know, some you people are having drinks or they're, you know, they're eating pizza. You know, it's, it's game night. It's yeah, a fun just, night for everybody. So it's kind of, Putting hard. on the pumpkin and bat wallpaper is not going to scare them. Yeah. So step number one, you just need to have a party that's kind of into the idea. Uh, as a DM, you'll know pretty much right away if these people are the kind of people who are okay with getting a spook. So fear. We're going to go over a few words here because they're going to be used a lot today. And so for a brief uh, you know, English lesson, uh, let's break them down real quick. So fear. Unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Correct. <laughs> um, one star. One star. What is next on the list? Dread. To be reluctant to meet to do, meet or experience something. 
What is next on the list, Paul? Next we have panic, which is a sudden overwhelming fear with or without cause that produces hysterical or irrational behavior that often spreads quickly through a group of persons or animals. And lastly, we have horror, an overwhelming and painful feeling caused by something frightfully shocking, terrifying, or revolting, a shuddering fear. Excellent. So now that we have those established, let's start from the top down. Um, and your job as a DM and you're trying to make something scary happen. It's difficult to shock people with fear specifically because – well, fear is much easier to achieve than the other ones because you can just sort of build tension by having – you know something very bad is going to happen. And we'll talk about the ways of getting this across without saying you get the feeling that something very bad is about to happen. Yes. So, uh, but that's probably honestly the easiest one to do. Because I see players get terrified of normal encounters all the time. Yeah. So from the start, we gotta, you know, we gotta examine this from the whole idea. Let's say you want to do something spooky. You're going for something kind of horror based. Um, you know, for me personally, I do feel one of my stronger aspects as a DM. Um, I feel like I'm actually do a pretty good job at horror, um, unless I have. People like Paul at my table who will actively <laughs> sabotage your try to uh, undercut my attempts at horror because he doesn't like the spookening. Um, so from the get, you have to establish your location, what kind of tactics you're going to use and how you are going to achieve this unease. Uh, for the example today, I want to use because uh, we'll be discussing like how you would use it in game terms. Um, we're going to use just a ye old haunted house, um, you know, bigger than your regular two story house, but smaller than a mansion. You know, just just enough rooms for, you know, some creepy exploration to happen. And they had to stay in it overnight to achieve the uh, was it the inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. The old Scooby Doo to get a million dollars. Jinkies. But it was all Confederate money anyway, so it doesn't work. Um, so. <laughs> is this worthless? This it's is, less than worthless. Yeah, it's less than worthless. So when it comes to horror, the very first thing you have to do is as a DM, you have to play it straight. Um, I'm usually – I usually do a lot of comedy stuff. I have like a lot of funny characters. I, uh, you know – because, again, this is the night everybody gets together and we're all going to have a good time. And uh, my game has sometimes been described as, like, an over-the-top anime with just how, like, ridiculous some of the shenanigans can get. But when I go into spooky mode, um, as a DM, you have to keep a very straight face and you have got to run the show at a very, very, very tight clip. Um, set a timer. You know, set a timer. Keep everybody engaged. Um, you have 30 seconds to decide in the course of action. Go. Yeah. Um, you can't let people really debate, debate, dick around. Um, you need to keep them locked in immersion. Immersion is the big key for running horror. Uh, so from the get, your descriptions need to be on point. That's thing number one. Um, you have to be describing things uh, effectively and as Building as much of a mental picture as humanly possible uh, with with your word salad choices. Yeah, with uh, your you know, well, when you're trying for immersion, you really need to you know people you know you got to hit as many of the senses as you can. What they're hearing, what they're seeing, what they're smelling, um, what they're feeling, you what know, what they're tasting. Yeah, well, we don't really get to that too much in D and D. And you need to establish those principles 
as best you can so everybody has a mental picture. So if we're going to use this haunted house, uh, for example, then, you know, it's been what's let's what's what's a good way to describe this house. So it's been empty for the better part it's old and creaking and it's been empty for at least 50 years you walk in there's dust that hasn't you know there's dust piles everywhere uh there's large cobwebs coming from the ceiling uh the paint that used to be on the walls has now began to curl and rip and tear some parts is uh just completely removed the room is damp and the floor creaks as you move across it slowly and that's where you get to your players so now that you've you know built your atmosphere your atmosphere a bit of a i should note that um, some appropriate music or sound effects can also help this too although you don't want to go all out under it becomes cheesy yes um and i guess that's another bit we'll get to here in a second is restraint um but once you establish your atmosphere you have to keep you have to try to keep table talk at a minimum. You have to try to keep everybody in character and immersion is the key. Um, Spooky's only going to work if people are immersed in the game. And that brings us to step two. Keeping a steady hand on what tricks you're using. Um, if you're a fan of any form of horror, be it written, audio, movie, video game, however, however you like your spooks being delivered to you, um, you have to judge and measure how much you use a certain trick um uh, overusing it can lead to it becoming ineffective yeah the pardon me the usage of things such as uh overly gory scene can be effective once maybe twice as a shock and as a uh like suddenly there's you know a threat present but suddenly if you know you just start finding bodies in you know every other room every other room and the closet and stuff searching them for money you know yeah it 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 just becomes old hat you need to keep tension oh there's more strawberry jam on the walls is there yep that's when the jokes start that's when you know everybody kind of Whoops, it looks like everyone caught a sudden case of falling down and dying syndrome. Yeah. Oh, and his blood leaked everywhere. Yeah. The minute uh the minute your players start, you know, like making jokes and making light of everything is when you lose the room. So you need to actively do your damnedest to keep them at a good clip, keep the tension building, and that's a word that I'm gonna say way too many times is tension, tension and limit uses of your gimmicks. So back to our haunted house example, um, they began to explore a little bit. They're looking around um, and, you know, we can, uh, you know, we can have some lore, some history checks, you know, because, again, uh, adventurers are easy to get to go anywhere you want them. You just throw enough shiny shit in a pile and say it's there and they'll show up. Um, what do you say? There's a, there's a sword and armor in the basement. Legendary sword and armor, you say. Oh, we're going. Oh, oh, we're going. I don't care how haunted this place is. It could be haunted by Azazoth and his seven twin brothers. We're going. We're going to go get that damn sword. Um, Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Yeah. So luring your players there is easy. At this point, you need to start trying to effectively counter what the players have to fall back on. And what players typically have to fall back on is a knowledge of how to handle a situation. Um, I'm going to try to word this delicately because this could be misconstrued as uh, 
basically just playing with your uh, players and you know removing all agency, which is not what I'm trying to say. If a player doesn't have agency, they can't be scared because then they feel like they're just listening to you recite something at them. Yes. Um, at that point, yeah, you are just reading your spooky goth poetry and you've lost the room again. But what you need to do is put them in a situation where they're very unfamiliar with how to handle it. Uh, an example of a situation they do know how to handle is five goblins show up. The barbarian's going to go, ah, the cleric's going to start, you know, casting spells. The rogue is going to try to get in position for a sneak attack. And uh, the paladin is going to say, well, guys, maybe we should try to save them. We shouldn't kill them. I mean, after all, that'd be a pretty mean thing to do, don't you think? They, right up until he gets shanked. Yeah, right until he gets stabbed by the rogue for talking too much. Long story short. Long story short. Everybody knows how to handle that situation. PC, okay, adventurers in 5th edition and Dungeons & Dragons in general are good at combat. So unless the enemy is truly overpowering, you should probably not send whatever scaring – you should not give whatever scaring them an armor class and hit points. Yet. Um, They're going to want to beat its ass eventually, so you'll have to do it sometime. Yeah, but. you know, that the ultimate payoff is that they will eventually get to kill what is scaring them. But until then – they need to feel very uncomfortable in this situation. Again, we are building tension. The idea is is that they are going to feel a remarkable amount of uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortableness about what's occurring around them. So let's use a very basic setup. Uh, I think everybody on the planet has played Skyrim. They put it on. I'm pretty sure I can play it on my Tamagotchi at uh, this point. They ported it to toasters recently. Yeah, no. So um, everybody's played Skyrim. So this one's going to hit home pretty easily. Everyone knows about the quest for uh, the Mace Molag Ball. Yeah, it's the... Uh, You're in Markarth and uh, you meet... Vigilant of Stendar. I can't yeah, remember his name. Definitely not a paladin. And uh, homie walks in and he's like, yeah, there's been a haunting in this house. You go inside and, uh, you know, at first it's a very normal house and that's when... The spooky starts happening. Um, think about it from that perspective as a player. Suddenly, you know, tables start or uh, chairs start getting stacked up on top of the table. Um, noises happen. All the all the creepy things that they kind of do in that scene. As a person playing Skyrim for the first time, once is the second time you're probably out there jumping on top of the table. Yeah, you're dicking but, around, but the very first time you see it, you're like. How do I handle this? I can't stab it. Yeah, yeah. I can't just beat it to death with my axe. So how am I going to handle this situation? So you need to try to throw as many curveballs at your players as possible. Um, shout out to uh, our boy Luke Hart, um, who, by the way, just hit a 1,000 subs on Twitter if you haven't uh, gone out and checked out our boy uh, Luke Hart over at Wow, I had it. I had it written in my notes, and and now I can't find it. I'm the worst. Uh, You'll find it eventually. I'm yeah, sure. now I'll get back to it. I do want to say while uh, Jake is looking for this that uh, you should probably sit down with your players beforehand and ask them if they're okay with certain things. I mean, you can by all means go in for probably things jumping out and you going boogly boogly woo and scaring them, but some people might be uncomfortable or uh, or personally upset by some things that you may not want to prod at because there's there's a, a limit to what you're probably is in good taste to do and you don't want to exceed that limit yeah the dm layer damn it i'm sorry luke anyways um but something that uh because i did have a little bit of twitter conversation with a couple of people about this um and it's it's one of my old standards and reliables um as people are 
going through this, you know, creepy house. Um, that's when they start to hear pounding in the other room, you know, upstairs, downstairs, somewhere where they're not. Um, again, this builds dread yeah. and tension. The dread idea, is a good word. It's going to be difficult to inflict panic, but dread and fear are easy ones. To you do. are going to put them in a situation where they hear that pounding. They're going to go investigate it because they're adventurers and they ain't afraid of shit. And I think paladins are literally immune to fear. I could be wrong. Uh, they kind of get that. Hey, Patrick, how you doing? Um, go on. I'm just going to double check that real quick. Yes, I could be wrong. And so the players are going to head upstairs. They're going to check the random sound. And sure enough, as soon as they, uh, you know, find the source of the random sound, you know, the bang stops when they enter the room. There's maybe a chill. (laughs) There's a chill in the room. It's however you want to add that tension. A nice little bit, too, that I like to just, you know, a little cherry on top because it always kind of creeps people out is uh, that wonderful little trinket section from the beginning of the book. Find something that you think might relate to uh, the kind of spook you're going for and leave it in, uh, you know, leave it in like the closet or whatever where the thumping is coming from and then it's covered in blood or whatever fluid you want to put on it that's going to make it creepy. Blood's the easiest, though. Yeah, everyone, blood's a bad sign usually. It's got to be fresh and warm, though. Um, at this point, the players have no idea what was causing the thumping. Um, there is nothing for them to hit with an axe. They just now have a blood-covered trinket. So, of course, being PCs, they're going to steal it. They're going to take it, but they're also going to be... A little cautious of it. You know, and hopefully we have been building tension. And again, if we've been doing everything that we've discussed so far... Uh, there should be a certain level of tension in the keeping, room. Yeah, keeping table talk to a minimum. Um, you know, out-of-character talk to a minimum keeping everything at a brisk pace, uh, being very level in both your words and your descriptions. We've established tension at this point. Now, from here, we need to uh, there. Well, actually, before we go any further, there is one important distinction I'm going to make. We're trying to scare the player, not the player characters. Um, Unless somebody's a very good role player, they're not going to play their badass barbarian as being afraid of something. Um. I, I double I double check by the way. You can't be frightened after tenth level. Yeah, as a paladin. Um, it's it's. I guess the best way to describe this is you can tell the player you are scared all day, but that doesn't make them scared. Yeah. Um. So you have to do your level best to frighten the person playing the character. Um. Which again is hard to do, but if you're sticking to what we got going so far, then it should be working out. So now on to the next bit. We need to figure out what exactly we're trying to spook our players with. Um, there's a lot of great options from the book. I mean, anything handled in the right. Uh, you can make pixies scary with enough can, effort. Yeah, you can make pixies scary. You can make um, like a boule, a terrifying monster. Well, boule are already terrifying. I mean, they already are scary, but you can actually make it a good horror segment with enough proper buildup and, you know, the tension building. But for uh, for today's you know episode and for like the sake of kind of what we got going on, there's just a couple of things I want to look at because um, they're within the level of kill, like they're very killable by players. But at the same time, because uh, as we've already discussed, it's hard to mess with high level players. They're going to have think spells. Discuss that actually. It's kind of difficult to scare players after about seventh level because their character is going to have a solution in their grab bag of tricks. Yeah. 
we, well, we touched on it briefly in the beginning, but yes, they're, you know, they're going to have enough spells and they're going to have enough, you know, wherewithal, especially if they've been playing for a bit to kind of get around your bullshit. Yeah. So you need to spring it on them when they're fresh, low level, and they don't have a whole lot of options other than just trying to use their wits to get through the situation. Use sword on man. <laughs> um, but, um, so we had a couple of monsters that we kind of picked out that are very good for this. Uh, Spectre slash Poltergeist is a fantastic choice. Uh, the Ghost. Um, the Wraith also. The Wraith. Uh, these are all 5CR and under. Um, if we pop open Tome of Foes, there's the Deathlock, and there is the... evil Warlock dead. Yeah, it's a undead Warlock. Um, and then there is the Deathlock Master. Yeah, that sounds right. Might yeah, I can't right. remember off the top of my head, but it's the more powerful. It's the more lock. powerful version. But the point is, all of these are CR eight and under. Oh, and we'll throw Mind Flare in there because you can do a lot of great creepy shit with a Mind Flare. Um, but at CR eight and under, this is something that a party of three, uh, you know, three or four level three or four characters can easily mangle once they get their hands on it. But it can still be a very dangerous encounter due to damage. Um, and you get to play it smart, too. If you're going to scare them, don't just have it run after them in a hallway shouting boogly, boogly, boo. Yeah, it shouldn't show its face. Uh, you know, that gets us back to a very traditional, uh, you know, movie method for horror movies. Don't show the monster. Um, it's scarier if they don't know what it is. Yeah. And don't show the monster. Obviously, you can't show it to them because this is a narrative format. But don't even tell them what it is. Like, don't say it's a mind flare. Just describe it if you have to describe it and describe it in the most visceral way you can. Yes. You know, the slime freshly covering, you know, the tentacles that are coming off the face, you know, um, the map. Don't be free. Feel free to change stat blocks around if you need something to be scary. I think the example we used in the car was give the ghost the power to cast invisibility on itself. Just, yeah, at will, you know, make the ghost go invisible whenever it wants because, you know, a ghost doing invisible stuff is. Spooky. Classic, too. Easily done. Um, the other aspect, too, of the second you, like, show the monster, because um, obviously you have to show it at some point, but the second you show the monster is that's when uh, real realization sets in on how you can defeat the monster. Even if it's just use sword on Mind Flare. Yeah. The second you see a Mind Flare, it's, oh, this is what's been giving me problems. Oh, wacko, 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 wacko. Um Likewise, if it's a ghost, uh, let's uh, let's use a movie example of a ghost that actually gave a lot of people some spookings. Uh, the girl from the Grudge, the mother yeah. from the Grudge, and the uh, the son. I'm blanking on the name of the Japanese ghost type, but it's the you know Onryo. Yes, and uh, you know killed in a rage, and you know is basically just turned into a mega bitch after death and wants to kill everybody else for walking into her house. Um, I'll blame her. It's my house. You know, the walking down the stairs on the hand scene was a unsettling B creepy and C the second you see it and you realize, oh, it's a ghost and oh, it, you know, it's like got these three things going on as a player. You can uh, history check religion check. Uh, you know, how do we handle this problem? Again, Dungeons and Dragons is not ideal for horror, but that's what we're talking about. So, yes, we know that you could do horror better in Lovecraft Asker. Powered by the Apocalypse or Call of Cthulhu or something. But we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons here. So try to avoid showing the monster until the point where they're going to kick its ass. Yeah, or you're about to, you know, 
you want to clue them in more on what's going on here. Um, for our example of the haunted house, yeah, we'll use a ghost and we'll even say, yeah, it is um, homegirl from the grudge because it's spooky enough. Um, and, you know, you can do a couple more, you know, tension building things, you know, the creaking, the whistling of wind through slots in the house you know the uh kid uh you know like the croaking noise that that kid was creepy as hell um you know doing the croaking noise and making the cat noises and stuff um continue to just actively build tension using the tools that we've already described um don't be afraid to also start using some spells or just things that you think like a ghost or whatever uh kind of thing you've got going on should be able to do the big one obviously is illusions yeah, illusion magic uh, makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's a lot of really cool spells. Uh, we assembled a list of like spells that are, you know, we'll just ramble them off here. But um, kind of cool stuff you can add. Some of them are very strong and do a lot of damage. But um, if you go by not the exact ruling, but maybe the spirit of what the spell is, you can, again, create some kind of creepy stuff. Paul, rattle them off. Well, to start with, let's start with the obvious one that I would actually not personally recommend, but could be used perhaps in an actual fight as cause fear and fear itself. There's also magic mouth and visibility, suggestion, compulsion for when a player needs to do something specific. Always distant whispers, which cause you to run away from something. Crown of Madness, which causes people to act randomly, if I recall. Mm, something like that and take a little bit of damage. Dance Macabre, Infestation and Insect Swarm. A Horrid Wilting, Mental Prison, Maddening Darkness and Darkness Itself. Compulsions and Hold Monster Person, whatever. Yeah. All of these are great spells. Like, we could go through every single one of those and, like, exactly what they do, but... Um, all of those are we great. We trust for, you know what most of these do or can look them up. Yeah, these are great tension builders. Hold person, for example, being cast by like a ghost or something is a fantastic tension builder because, um, you know, as long as you tell everybody to not, you know, keep it in character and not out of game, you know, um, you can easily just pass a note. You know, you can have everybody roll a save. At this point, you've already picked one person who is the actual target. Have them roll a save. Have them all go through and call and then just pass them all a piece of paper that says uh, what is going on. And so suddenly there's a person who has quit moving, can't move. Um, can't say that they've stopped moving. Can't say that they've stopped moving. And, you know, they can try to keep getting out of the spell or whatever. But, um, you know, if you... And spooky shit starts flying around if the you, Yeah, if you treat it... Well, if you treat it in a way where... You know, think about it. If the players are actually in that situation and, you know, because if we're just sitting around the table and, um, okay, yeah, the spooky stuff's happening. Um, okay, so you've just been affected by hold person and everyone's like, oh, okay, well, and then they start thinking mechanically. If we describe it in a way where, um, you know, like I, you know, like we'll say the ranger is checking the bookshelves and, uh, just sort of locks up, you know, yeah, and just sort of locks up and the, uh, the rogue and the, I don't know. Let's throw a fighter fighter in there. Yeah. Um, one likes fighters. You know, they're currently discussing a rapier that's like over the mantelpiece in this little study or whatever. And like, they kind of noticed that the Rangers just kind of stopped like mid, like grabbing a book. That's more tension. Finally, you know, he'll make the save successfully and we'll be free of the spell and we'll be, uh, guys, Ways you can add to that tension, too, is to, um, you know, you can let them hear this part, though, where you start, you know, let's say let's say we got a mind flare going on in this situation. 
mind flayer starts using its telepathy abilities to uh, start saying some cold, creepy alien shit. You know, just you know, just the kind of quiet rumblings of madness. You know, some yeah. Lovecraft, Lovecraftian stuff. Your world will fall barren. We are planting the seeds. Wow, that doesn't sound that creepy. That sounds kind of nice. Yeah, I know, right? You know, just hit them with the soon. Very soon. soon. Doom, doom. Creep, creep, lurk, lurk. I was actually going to suggest uh, when you have people make their saving throws, uh, make somebody who is very close to passing the actual save, make it sound like they pass, but actually inflict a compulsion on them to act on something later. That is actually clever. I like that. Um but at this point, again, allowing your uh, your villain of this like little mini spooky arc to affect actual change and um, like affect the players, but without hurting them, just making them uncomfortable, and again, kind of taking away that like sense of control that they have. Yeah, mechanical impact. You know, um, you're gonna keep building tension. And, um, you know, now at this point, there's you know. I've I've done a bunch of things um, to continue to ratchet up tension. Um, you know, like the Silent Hill fog rolls in. Um, I've used oh fog cloud. I've used uh, you know masks that like I had hanging around. You know, it was like for a celebration in the town. Um, you know, town got hit by Silent Hill fog. Uh, everybody in the town was gone, and all the masks that were up for like their yearly fall harvest began talking. Um, you know, and I had already been doing some of the other things and establishing tension, and everyone in the party's like, okay, um. That's a little creepy. We'd like to uh, not be in this town anymore. <laughs> um, you can't leave. The ritual is about to begin. Yeah. You know, hit them with stuff like that. Uh, you know, they went and they tried to find their boss so they can be like, boss, we're getting the hell out of here. Uh, they found their boss. His, uh, you know, head had done a 360 and had ye old. Uh, he had uh, the Joker style smile going on. Glasgow grin. No, no. He had, but it hadn't been cut into his face. He was, uh, it was like laughing gas smile, like the Joker laughing gas smile. Um, at this point, my players were thoroughly spooked um, and ha- dreaded the idea of having to go into the forest and fight what they were going to fight. It's at this point that we should also point out that when it comes to doing things like this, there are little tricks you can do to also just make them uncomfortable um, that have nothing to do with the actual story being presented. Um a one of my favorites is actually the idea of uh, the the phantom dice roll that some DMs do. Just you know, you're sitting there behind your screen. Um, you know, people are doing stuff, and you just roll a couple of d20s. Um, you write something down, ask people their scores and something. You know, uh, well, you actually had a great one in the car, which I'm going to use in the future, and that is uh, just asking someone what's their passive perception. Uh, you know, just. You know, pick one of them at random and, hey, what's your uh, what's your passive perception again? Uh, 13. Is that something you should be passively percepting? I don't know. Is there? Is there? You've added to tension. You've made them nervous. Even if there's nothing that really they need to, uh, you know, be afraid, of here. be afraid of here. You have put the idea in their head that there is something that is sneaking about when that could be the case that it's not. Um. Also, you can do uh, what's there's a couple others. Um, you can occasionally uh, take people outside. I've taken people for one on ones and um, just like 30 second one on ones and just be like, you've heard this or you've seen this, you know, just to try to keep player interaction separate. 
Um, yeah. It can be a little tricky because then the players, like the second everybody walks out, is going to be like, uh, you know, and just like get all the table talk out. Um, but if you trust your players enough to, you know, take them outside and just, you know, give them innocuous little things or like things they might be seeing. One of my favorite things is, uh, again, with the illusions, uh, we'll say, you know, we'll pick a random person. I'm going to pick the barbarian because his wisdom is probably going to be the lowest. And he just starts seeing, you know, shit that isn't there because he's the easy target. And, you know, I take him outside and I, you know, tell him what he's seeing and then everybody else. So that way, when he comes back in, he can play in character and be like, uh, you don't see that fountain in the garden gurgling blood. And everyone's just kind of like going to give him the, you what? You, you what, sure you're all right, fam? Um, ooh. Uh, Paul, do you have any other little tricks and fiats you could add? Well, I actually like, uh. Asking people – I play most of my games over text, so I like asking people quietly for roles okay. uh, because that raises the tension on their half. But again, a text-based game is far different from an in-person game because in a text-based game, you can really go all out in the sort of narrative uh, spookiness yes, rather than specific GM tricks. Sorry, I don't have much more to add there. No, that's pretty much fine. So let's get on to the next bit. Um, and that is going to be uh, finally showing your monster and how to do resolution and how to, you know, like once you've gotten your kicks with them, <laughs> once once you've had your fun with the players, how, how do you, you know, effectively reveal your monster? Well, you have to at some point let them beat on it and resolve the – get the catharsis they deserve. Yes. Um, a fantastic example, and this is what we mentioned earlier, um, a very good, chartable, followable version of how all of this works is actually in the Call of Cthulhu quick uh, quick read rules. That they, you know, just the like quick start rules. Yeah, quick edition. start rules for 7th edition. We'll link them. Yes, we will link them. But the adventure is very simple. You have gone into a house um, that is haunted. Um, and in a secret room in the basement is... Uh, like the the villain and he's like trying to become a lich and like physically you know he's like in this circle and he's like working on you know doing the spell but he can mentally control what's happening in the house so if the adventure is played slow then you know windows are slamming shit's getting thrown across rooms um one of my favorites is uh person's walking in front of if a person walks in front of a window in a certain room the entire bed flips up on its side and tries to throw him out the second story window which is hilarious um from from my perspective from a player's perspective that would be fucking terrifying well, until um, you start playing yakety sex <laughs> yeah until the scooby-doo theme comes on um but the whole point is is once you finally get down to the very bottom of the basement and you find his little uh circular room also there's a great bit before you find his room where uh he's got an occult knife just kind of like that he's mind controlling just flying around and trying to stab people um once you get into that room though with him and you have your fight um a like he's got all of his paperwork he's got you know conveniently explained paperwork uh explaining who he is what he does um and you know he's got his license he's got his driver's license uh you know his high school uh report card um you know everything you need to know about this man all laid out in this room but once you get to that point uh and the party can finally wail on him that's kind of the payoff you get um, once players are sufficiently spooked out and they finally get to vent their aggression on the thing that's been making them uncomfortable. Um, it usually makes for some violent and fun combat. 
I am always a very big proponent of uh, passionate combat is best combat because when everyone is just kind of going through the motions, you know, and it's just like, I mean, I guess we're fighting bugbears today. All right, let's get it, you know, and kind of loses its luster. Bears. But, you know, when uh, when the players particularly hate something and they really want it dead, uh, that's when that's when the fun shit happens. So revealing your villain. Um, depending on what one you, you know, depending on which one you choose. Um, and there's a couple other ways we can go with this too. I mean, there's a whole other side that we're actually going to cover because this is doing spooky, unexplainable, you know, kind of ghost horror stuff. Um, there's a very, very different side of horror that we can try to take that we're going to sprint through in a minute. But once you've established villain motivation and cause, and you know, you've sprinkled enough of the secrets to, you know, come out inside the, this mini adventure, um, you know, give them the tools to beat it. Um, I, I always think it's very satisfying when there's like, uh, with that example we just mentioned with the call of Cthulhu quick start rules, uh, that flying knife can kill that, uh, the sorcerer in one hit. If the players successfully like grab the knife and just stab him with it, like that is a viable, a viable and a feel good way to, you know, wrap it up otherwise like the dude's kind of a tank like i mean he's dead yeah so but he doesn't have any vital organs to hit or anything right um so with you know always like plan a you know like a, a little well written out or a uh you know a well written uh you know one shot one kill uh thing or just ways to kind of thematically wrap it up very neatly. Um, I can understand that, but I'm actually going to disagree. I think it feels better for the players to actually finally get to use their skills. If they've, especially if, for example, it's a fighter or a barbarian or somebody who doesn't have a lot of out of combat potential outside of a couple skills, uh, it would feel good for them to actually be able to wail on something and not feel like their talents are wasted this adventure. True. Um, don't necessarily have to do what I said. Um, I always just, I like the idea. I think that when the players all get together and get in on trying to solve the mystery and, you know, somebody has that great idea because the thing is you can put something in there, like a fiat in there and they might not figure it out. I've done that before and I thought it was like pretty obvious, like, you know, hey, hit him with the bat <laughs> and it never happened. And then even recently though, we did have one where Nacho was playing and, uh, he he had gotten uh, uh, this magic knife that was in the room. You know, the party was fighting an Alip, and uh, you know I, I did a mini spook. Uh, they were fighting an Alip, and there just happened to be a magic dagger in the room. It was just a plus one dagger that had belonged to the guy, but he thought if he stabbed it with the dagger uh, that it was going to end everything. And so, like he very confidently walked up to the Alip and stabbed it. And I was like, "Well, you hit it. It it didn't just die immediately. Hell no." <laughs> And then I'd like he, to retreat, please. And then, yeah, and then he immediately got psychically bitch slapped because that's what Alex do. Um, but in you know, make sure that there is a somewhat gratifying conclusion if you're going to wrap up the spooky on that session. Um, you can actually make um, a spooky villain get a lot of mileage. I mean, a good example of spooky villain getting lots of mileage is Curse of Strahd. Well, that helps that he's a lot more powerful than the players, too. Yeah. Um, you know, vampires, vampires are also um, shout out to vampires because they're very good for this stuff, too. Um, Liches would be nice if they weren't so high. If level. they weren't 
21 CR and, you know, can just truck an entire party. But finding motivation um, for the monster to be doing monstrous thing, you know, if it's a ghost, let you know, we can throw in the tragic backstory and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, let's say in the case of, you know, let's let's use the, the grudge example again. You know, the barbarian goes to town and finds the bastard, uh, you know, husband who killed the wife and kid and, uh, you know, I don't know. Throws them in a well or some shit. Something along those lines. You know. Give them, uh, you know. The closure they deserve. Yeah, give them, give the story closure. It is, after all, a tiny little story that you are trying to tell. And uh, even though you are having a bit of fun at your player's expense for trying to make them uncomfortable and spooked, you need to let them feel at the end that they still won. Yeah. Unless you're trying to kill them all, which, you know. That's I your wouldn't prerogative. recommend it. But. That's, yeah, that's your prerogative. Um so let's hop to the other side of the coin, though. So this is slow build, you know, kind of supernatural spook. Uh, let's just go the complete opposite, the 80s horror movie slasher spook. Um, You're being chased by Zaza down yeah, the hallway. Yeah, the uh, Jason Voorhees has shown up and he's had enough of your fornicating and drinking. Um, this one is, you know, those things always seem weirdly moralistic to me. I know, right? Like. Trying to shove Christian values down the throat. Um, Regardless. So if you do plan on using just a very confrontational in your face monster, um, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Um, Have them pop up repeatedly like the shark from Jaws. Uh, Something I do love as a fiat for that is the uh, voodoo curse. (laughs) Well, there's the voodoo curse, but actually something that – I've seen used and I enjoy is uh, the idea of turn undead. So let's say this is classic zombie Jason. This is Jason from Friday the 13th part six and onwards. Um, Having a cleric in the party and the cleric uses turn undead like it's not going to kill Jason. But the idea of using up a resource to drive him away for a bit, you know, let's say like uh, depleting resources is another way of scaring people and adding tension. Yeah. Um, it, it's a completely different thing because in the uh, more supernatural kind of way, you're not really going to burn through too many resources. You're just trying to unsettle them by the actions of your spook. Uh, you're avoiding the mechanical aspect and going for the role-playing aspect. This time you're going for the mechanical aspect specifically. Yeah, a more survival horror feel a la Resident Evil or uh, Silent Hill or games where you have to manage your resources while creepy shit is happening. Um, whoops. Oh, careful there. I just sucker punch my mic. That's what you get. Um so on the flip side, uh, managing resources, yeah, the idea that, you know, um, you can drive them away with a spell, but you only got so many casts. Um, like a troll. And they're going to keep chasing. A troll regenerating or a, uh, you know, I like to uh, pad the stats of werewolves to make them, you know, a bit bigger and scarier. Um, you know, add add some troll-like regeneration, uh, you know, and all the other stuff they got. Make them a little bit bigger. Make them do a bit more damage. Uh Suddenly, you know, it's like this werewolf can keep popping in, you know, chasing them down for a bit and giving them hell. And then they're able to drive it off once it takes 15 to 20 damage, but they're not able to kill it. It goes, hides back in the woods um, and, you know, it'll strike you again in this many rounds. You know, you know, it's going to come back. So it's all about them, you know, again, sticking to that strict time limit that we talked about earlier and being like, you know, you know, it's going to be coming back or it's going to be attacking soon. And it's using the tension that is created by it, you know, it's violent reappearance. 
um, often enough to keep the players on edge. Yeah. Is it just me or do I keep slipping more and more out of frame? Um, yeah, no, this, uh, this camera is doing a delightful job of just sliding slowly away. <laughs> we're just going to, we're just going to bring it back over here. Right away. There you go. Thank you. I'm, I'm working on it. I'll take that. There we go. We That's fine. It. I'll be a little in the camera. We fixed it. That was strange. Anyway. Ish. So when it comes to, uh, running big monsters like this too, a, Another fun little way to just keep that tension there is uh, constant uh, either bombardment by either uh, underlings that they have or constantly um, putting them in situations where they can hide from it. Harass them, basically. You know, just uh, give them something to be afraid of and, you know, put them in a location where they're not going to. Again, I love the Jason Voorhees. First of all, there are a bunch of great Jason Voorhees stat blocks that exist. Love them all. Second of all, it, the idea, again, that you're at the campground, you're trying to escape. Um, you know, you've got limited options and this thing is going to keep popping out. Um, you can do a lot of great, fun storytelling with a one-time or even a recurring villain um, who's a bit more powerful than the party. Now, the only thing that's difficult about this is getting them to a point where they can actually kill it because the for um, something like this to actually cause fear, it has to be massively m- more powerful. Yeah, much more powerful than the party. And you can sometimes run into the problem where the players think that because it is there and it is by itself that they can kill it. And now, to be fair... A lot of people do single monster encounters or single villain encounters and think it's going to work. But getting one action to the party's four is usually a pretty huge handicap. Yeah, so there are ways to uh, – well, I mean you we'll can – talk always, about that another day. Well, you can always throw in legendary actions. Yeah. Um, legendary actions is a good fiat. Or good old celerity. But. Yeah. Um, but either way, there are – yeah, there are a couple of ways you can uh, you know tilt the stuff in your player's favor. But the problem – still exists is if you have uh, party members who are a big fan of uh, the song Headstrong by Trapped. Yeah, they're uh, they're not really gonna, I don't know. Back down. They'll yeah. take them on. Yeah, they'll uh, headstrong and take on anyone and they're... Probably get their ass kicked. Barbarian is gonna get, you know, their ass kicked seven ways to Sunday. So... Although, in my experience, usually uh, having a single, like... The barbarian charges in, and then the monster retaliates with three attacks for like four d six each, and they're like, "Okay, time to go." Yeah, it you know it depends. It all depends on how your party. It's it you know there's a lot of variables that we really can't cover. It's party dynamic, dynamic. It's player dynamic. It's we're providing you general tips. Yeah. Um. So we got about nine minutes left. Let's uh let's put a neat little bow on the spookening. All right, Mustang. Um, so like just going to hit one last, like going down the list of ways to make this work, have a conversation with your players beforehand. Um, don't necessarily be like, Hey, we're going to do creepy. Um, but talk to them about what might be, uh, unacceptable for them as far as scary goes. Um, you know, make sure you don't do anything that's uncomfortable. Some people like really, really don't like gore. Some people really don't like certain aspects. Um, just make sure your players are comfortable and you're not, you know, again, it's supposed to be a good time for everybody. Um, from there again, run a tight ship, 
make sure no out of gear, no out of character talking. Um, if you have a group that it's again, it's more like, you know, the friends are getting together and this is just how everybody kind of hangs out. Um, you know, and you don't think this will work, then just don't do it. it. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessary. It's not a core element of Dungeons and Dragons to scare people. Yeah, this um, is just more if you want it for something you enjoy to do or a story you want to tell as the DM. It requires a specific kind of party. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have some players who are pretty uh you know dedicated to uh playing the way you were trying to get them to play that day. Run a tight ship. Um, keep things moving at a brisk pace, and try your very best to. You know, like just give them, you know, give them breadcrumbs to keep leading them deeper and deeper into this mystery because don't give them too long to ponder things. Basically, Um, you know, try to keep them in character talk. I'm going to like say that a bajillion times and then just follow your gut and use your instincts and, you know, ratchet up tension. Do, you know, little tricks, asking them questions, um, you know, writing things down. Uh, rolling dice and then smirking at the result. Yep. Asking people their stats. Things like this, you know, you'll build tension, do creepy stuff. If you love Silent Hill or horror movies or, uh, you know, Outlast, you know, the video game and, you know, or just anything that gave you a legitimate spook and you like it, just find a way to use it that everybody doesn't catch the reference immediately and, uh, you know, throw it in there. Because I know the stuff that makes me very uncomfortable, and I just do a couple of tweaks to it, throw it in when I want to use it, and then it usually works to make my friends uncomfortable. Mm. So we're going to end this little uh, little show here with uh, a final a final kind of a thing. Paul, I know you're not big on running horror, but if you got to run one super scary monster, what's your go-to? Well, I like the scarecrow personally, but the gargoyle is also good. Gargoyle is fun, actually. Yeah, no, don't don't get them. Gargoyle gets used a lot in the adventures, but I never ever use them. I should. Yeah, a statue that comes to life and attacks you is pretty spooky. But what's even better is if it's not the statue they're expecting. Like if you've got a statue of a huge gargoyle perched on wings, they're all going to turn their backs to the one that looks like a kindly smiling old man until it claws the shit out of them. Mm, yeah, no, that's actually good stuff. Um. Even better is a hall of statues that extends like a long way and paintings with eyes that seem to follow you as you go down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's – yeah. There's a bajillion like little – uh, you know, like the look in the mirror where your reflection doesn't do the same thing as you. Doppelganger is also a good one. Yeah. Um, what about you? Honestly, for me, um, even though we didn't use uh, – didn't talk about them too much today, pound for pound, um, most powerful spook for me is Vampire. Yeah, that's understandable. Because you can just, first of all, I mean, I think they're just probably probably one of the easiest to work with villains in the game because uh, they're usually pretty good at charisma. They usually got a pretty good spell block. You can always just, I don't know, turn them into a fucking wizard and give them even more spells um, if you need to. They can the, turn into bats, mist, you know. The way to make anything scary is give it wizard levels. Yeah, give it wizard Wizards levels. Wizards are truly the enemy. Um, and then... Uh, you know, from there, it's just it's all about running mind games with your party. You know, make them uncomfortable. You have to know the psychology of your players. Remember, you're scaring your players, not your characters. Yep. And uh, with that, I think that's going to be our show for the day. Um, good. So moving on uh, here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to try to pick up a smattering of homebrews uh, of creepy stuff. Like we're going to 
probably go over a Jason Voorhees homebrew and a couple other like classic horror monsters. We're also going to pick up a couple of books uh, that uh, by independent people that I've been wanting to get my hands on for a while, and we're going to do a review on of uh, those on the show. Um, so until then. Um, please check us out on Facebook. If you like today's show, uh, go to our page, three DMS podcast and, uh, three spelled, uh, T H R E E, uh, head there and give us a like, give us a follow. Um, it really helps us out. Uh, head to our Twitter, which is three, uh, underscore DMS underscore pod, uh, at, uh, yeah, twitter.com at three underscore DMS underscore pod. Um, follow us there. I'm trying to tweet more. Um, I'm just not good at the micro blogging, but I, you know, everybody's got to work on something and, uh, oh yeah. Uh, we recorded out of the podcast Detroit studios here in Royal Oak, Michigan. If you're in the Southeastern Michigan area and you want to start a podcast, it's as easy as going to podcastdetroit.com and starting a show with them. A lot of fun, really affordable, great way to spend a Sunday. All right. And with that, um, I believe that's it. I believe that's it. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Have a good week and uh, enjoy the spooking in while you can. And with that. Ah!